Welcome, everybody, to Media Made Me here on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Latanya Starks, podcaster, amazing human. Uh, Latanya, why don't you introduce yourself? Because I just can't stop gushing about you. So I want you to uh, describe yourself in more uh, regular human terms as opposed to queen and icon. (laughs) Believe me, you're so kind. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, Second of all, uh, how would I describe me? Well, I am a uh, debate coach by day and a podcaster by night. Um, I have been, if you have heard of me before, then it's probably because of post-show recaps, where I do lots of different podcasts, and also Rehap, where I do a couple Rehap-ups. Um, in terms of debate, I'm a debate coach at Northwestern University and have been for several years. Um, and I have seen so many classes of students come and go that I really feel old. And now we're at the point in, in time where um, these people were born in like 2003 and now they're in college. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh, God, I like probably still have a sweater or something from 2003 yeah that's <laughs> that's when my brother was born and when there are co-workers of mine that say that they were born in the same year as him I feel gross and disgusting and I am only a couple years older than him yeah imagine so, how I feel yeah um but you are such a great voice to the community in terms of uh tv show movie recaps uh post-show recaps is such a welcoming community this is one of the things that i love most about the post show recast podcast is that it's very uplifting in terms of the craftsmanship like you are there's like other podcasts out in like film and tv discussion spaces that are more critical and more uh like i don't like some of the ways they talk about like the people who create the projects and who like put their time but post show recaps is always uplifting in terms of like if they disagree with a story decision, they'll mention it, but they won't um, attack the creator or right. the, the crew members or the actors or whoever might be a part of it. And that's one of my favorite parts about PSR. And I've been so fortunate to get to be a part of the community member uh, from the community since the Discord basically opened up for the patrons way back in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting to listen to you grow as a podcaster also over the years has been so much fun and like i told you in the pre-show i always love listening to a latanya podcast because you're funny and you're insightful and you have great commentary both in terms of like making jokes but also in terms of the serious stuff oh that's so nice and yeah i mean you have really been around for like my entire podcasting career because i was one of the people who was in the class of 2020 and that was for those of you all who don't know it was essentially like a bit of a competition that uh, Rob and Josh and everybody at Post Show Recaps and Rehap had to try to find new diverse talent. And at first I had to submit a video talking about why I love Top Chef. 
And then from that, I was chosen to do this terrifying Zoom. I, I, I did one too. It was so yeah. overwhelming. I definitely was anxiety ridden for like at least an hour beforehand. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to was. Yeah. I was just like, I can't believe I listened to all of these people and now I'm like on a Zoom with them. What is going on? Yeah. How did you feel about your interview? Um, so I did mine with Ellie and Akiva and Rob and they asked me to bring in a uh, Renat pitch and I was definitely overwhelmed because like I had submitted stuff to the wheel and there was a reason mm -hmm. I didn't get stuff picked. So I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and I was definitely overwhelmed and I think I was very in my head that night. Um, just like trying to think more about what they wanted to hear as opposed to being myself. And I think that oh, like yeah. came across. Um, but uh, I, I took it as a learning experience and definitely like going forward, I want to just be more authentic to who I am on my podcast, because I think that's like what makes people shine is like who they are naturally, instead of like trying to cater to like the people on the call, like I should have been more yeah. comfortable with who I am. And honestly, like at the time I wasn't super confident with who I yeah. was. I was also going through, like I graduated in the pandemic. I was like desperately searching to have something and I put all like the stuff that I wasn't getting in job applications because I was just out of college right during that time period. I was like, okay, I'm going to put all my eggs in this and hope it, it comes through. And it didn't. But um, I, I definitely was a ball of nerves that night. And uh, I definitely think they could sense it. Yeah, it, it's a really hard room to be put into. I, I remember that there were a lot more people in my uh, interview than than I even could imagine that there would be. There were like at least 15 people. Oh, wow. Was yours Zoom. in the middle of the day or was it like late at it night? Was in, it was in the evening. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and typically, uh, just because of being a debater and having to, you know, when you're in a debate round, when it's time for you to speak, you have to get up there and say something, whether you know what you're talking about or not. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think that's really what trained me to be able to relate to an audience because you're trying to per persuade a judge. Um, so I, I just get really competitive about things and I compete with myself about things. And so uh, I remember them asking me to uh, essentially put together uh, a kind of like a dossier about uh, Survivor and my, my thoughts on Survivor. And I... I didn't watch Survivor um, at the time. So you found I, the community via post-show recaps, right? I did, yeah. And then I just knew Rob from PSR. I didn't yeah. know really anything about Rahap at all. So, uh, except for the, you know, the Top Chef podcast. And so I ended up binge watching like the latest Survivor All-Star season. And then I just came up with a bunch of notes about why... Uh, about why uh, Jeff Probst is the worst. Uh, and I, I guess they found it entertaining enough, but like, you're completely right. If you're in a situation like that and you're not feeling yourself in terms of being confident in, your, in yourself and in your abilities to convey, you know, your personality. And if you're not even confident enough in your personality, then how are you gonna convey that to someone else? Like, I yeah. think that the better we do in things that are like an audition space, the the more that we know ourselves and the more that we're able to kind of 
tune into something that allows us to succeed in that moment. Yeah, no, and I, um, I, I've heard Matt Scott mention that he wants to release the tapes from all the interviews. It's like, no, don't release mine. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, you can keep that in the vault forever. But yeah, um, that was like a fugue state that I entered. I'm not even sure of all what happened. <laughs> but um, I also think um, this is something that uh, I've noticed is like when they ended up picking a lot of the people. A lot of the people were like more in their at least mid-20s, if not more older. I think AJ Norris, he's younger than me. He might be, I don't know the ages of everyone, but, uh, and he's super talented. I love AJ. That guy is so funny and so smart. And um, I'm very grateful to have him as a friend. But I noticed that, like, I think where I am at now that I'm in my mid-20s, I think I'm much more confident in myself than I was three years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, I would be a very different person applying if that were this year versus where I was three years ago. Um, but I'm also having fun here and doing my thing. And like, if at the end of the day, Rob knows where I am, if he ever wants to. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And we love having you on anything that we can for post-show recaps. So, yeah. I, I was very excited to potentially podcast about you with you and Marissa. Uh, my parents were in town that week. So I was like, I prioritized them just because I, uh, yeah. I was like, we'll find something else to talk about. Because you're not uh, Joe. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you prioritize yeah. your parents as you should. Yeah. Um, and we had a lovely time that weekend. Obviously, I had a little bit of FOMO, but you had a great podcast. I was tee-hee-heeing <laughs> um, to everything you were saying. Um, and also, Thank I probably you. would have been like very negative because that was the first half feedback show. And I was not in a good mood after watching yeah. that one. I did not like the first half as much as I liked the second half. Yeah, I mean, it really is the fact that they split that situation that that uh, that uh, series up. Um, mm-hmm. They did not tell the writers before they wrote this yeah. that it was going to be split the season. Um, they just decided to do five episodes up front and then another five episodes a month later. But the whole thing about you is that it is it wasn't originally intended to be this way because it was released week by week originally. But when it hit Netflix, it was such a big deal because of the binge. It's so bingeable. So when you take away the thing that is one of the biggest strengths of the show, without even telling the writers and giving them the opportunity to make the change, which we know that they would have done and would have done well, then you kind of doom your product to failure. It didn't make any sense to me. It was one of the worst decisions in television that I've seen since they fumbled the bag on the crown. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I definitely, because, uh, I mean, you got me into you uh, by uh, speaking highly of it. So I binged the first three seasons, and I was like, this is a great binge show. Like, you, yeah. like I couldn't put it down sometimes. Um, I was like, okay, just one more. And then I watched the rest of the season um, in one sitting. Uh, like, I, I, I think season three, I did the last five episodes back to back to back to back to back. Oh, wow. Um, so I definitely felt kind of, uh the balloon deflating after that first five and i was like what's happening and then it did pick up um but you all made a lot of great points on the podcast and i think there are some fans that are still reeling from the first five season like my friends that i was mentioning that i hung out with yesterday they've only watched like the first episode if not even the first like full episode of the second part because they were just like i don't really care um yeah and and i don't blame them yeah um, they really didn't give the characters you know that are side characters like in, in other in previous seasons you know we got side characters but they were actually 
there was like some meat on the bones. Mm -hmm. It seems like these side characters were literally just put there to be killed. They were supposed to be disposable. And so as a result, we don't care nearly enough about, you know, these side people. Whenever the camera is not on Joe, then we're mad. And they're not giving any depth to the show at all. Yeah. Um, it was it really I, I was really upset with what they did with season four, given that if they had let this play through on a binge, I feel like it would have been my favorite season of the show. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like I was even thinking about like if they had to split it up, were there alternative ways like where they could do like the first seven episodes? Because the seventh episode ends with the big cliffhanger. And I feel like that would have gotten people more excited and mm-hmm. they would have powered through seven episodes as opposed to like five and then stopping him and being like, eh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think I, I understand why Netflix did it, but I think that's the thing where they have to respect the writers. This is going to be uh, something that I feel very strongly about respecting your writers in all aspects mm-hmm. of the creative process, as well as the financial process afterwards. Um, as we discuss in mid-April with the looming votes for the strike. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, like the writers are adaptable. They can tell stories in different ways if needed. I just think uh, they should have been told. And hopefully season five is able to recover from this and they don't split it up without telling them again. Yeah, My hope is that they just let it all drop at once. Um, but we'll see what happens. I, I hope that they go back to letting it all drop at once. But I do believe because of these creators, uh, now that they know that there's a possibility that they could be told that it's going to get split up, they're going to write a version of the show that's in case it gets split up. And then they might also have a version of the show that's in case it gets to go all the way straight through with yeah. only minor tweaks. But like now they know that this is something that's on the horizon that could be a possibility for for the last season. They might change their tactic a little. Yeah, and that's my hope that they get um, at least warning before they have to like make those decisions because I assume they will also have um, a couple of alternative choices that they could pick from. It's just a matter of like how much advance notice they get. Yeah, um, exactly. But we're not here to talk about Joel Goldberg, unless that's what you want to keep talking about. We're no. here to talk about you, LaTanya. Oh, me? Yes. Um, so I want to get to know you in terms of like the media that you've um, grown up with and like spent a lot of your life watching. Um, and when I say media, I mean all types of media. It could be mm-hmm. books, mu- music, um, different video games even. But uh, primarily my fascination with the industry is going to be movies and tv shows so a lot of my questions are going to be geared towards that but take it wherever you like Latanya, because i know you have a lot of insights you're a very um worldly person i classify you as um i'm glad you do thank you but, uh, <laughs> someone's gotta <laughs> but in terms of like your earliest memories with uh media what would you say uh they were like do you have any favorite like childhood shows or movies or music, of course. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of factors kind of working into how things happened with me being raised. So raised in a house, like just full of women for one. Um, and I was the oldest grandkid. So I, you know, was there first, uh, kind of got, uh, spent all my time hanging out with adults 
So I thought I was grown naturally. Um, there was always, 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 always music playing in my house. And if there wasn't music playing, then someone was singing. My grandmother and my mom, uh, my grandmother and my aunt were in choirs, like competitively um, and in church choirs. So there was always, always music. Um, I remember us having this radio, this record player that we would use constantly. I remember the first time I got my own little record player um, that and, and started to save up to buy myself records or tapes. And uh, yes, because I'm that old, like I'm that analog. Um, we were using record players and we were using tape players. And um, so music was everywhere and it was like all kinds of music. It was starting from the 1940s and 50s doo-wop to like the swinging 60s to 70s disco music. And then of course, like all of the 80s like hits that you know and love. Uh, a lot of like hip hop, a lot of R&B. Um, so there was like, you know, the Temptations were being played all the time. And um, Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 were really big in my family. Whitney Houston was huge, especially with my mom. Like my mom listened to one Whitney Houston album so much that she like ruined it for everyone. Uh, so like, there was always something like that going on. And I remember, you know, staying up late with my aunt and like just playing records and falling asleep to like, like on a bed just full of records. I also remember at a very young age getting to, uh, choose what movies I got and being gifted movies. So I was gifted, um, you know, the like Charlie Brown um, holiday specials when I was little. And then the one of the most influential gifts that I got, I got when I was very young. And that was, um, uh, I got a VHS of The Wizard of Oz. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the Wizard of Oz to this day is still one of my all-time favorite movies. It's tied with The Godfather Part Two for my favorites. Um, so a little bit wild in terms of a <laughs> spectrum. But still, um, and I also remember we used to watch a and watch a lot of Shirley Temple movies growing up. So, um, gosh, what like I remember her singing Animal Crackers. I remember her doing that really uh, great tap dance on the stairs with that uh, black performer. Um, gosh, I'm just trying to remember the names of all of these people. Um, but the movie that I remember the most vividly that was a Shirley Temple movie was The Little Princess, I think it was. Um, and it was just about a, a, a rich girl whose dad went to war and then he was determined dead. And so she ended up becoming like a foster home kid. Um, and, you know, then things ensue and it's just as saccharine sweet as you would imagine something from Shirley Temple to be, but my sister and I watched it constantly. Um, we also, as I started to get older, you know, we had to have on like Good Times and 227 and uh, like the Lucy, uh, 
Lucy and Desi show. Um, I love Lucy. I love Lucy. Thank you. The Cosby show, which is like horrible at, at you know, now, mm-hmm. like you go through your, your youth and, and your life still, and you never realize who's going to emerge. It's just like a creep <laughs> and need to be completely canceled. I mean, and a couple of weeks ago we were messaging and I was like, Oh, I if I ever meet Jonathan Majors, I'm going to like wingman you Latanya. And then like three days later, he's your ex-husband instead of your future. I husband. know exactly. Yeah. I've had so many starter Hollywood husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, and obviously you know, Bill Cosby's legacy is one that is incredibly tarnished by his behavior and what he did, despite of what the legal system may have said in regards to uh, letting him go after everything that happened with him getting convicted. Like, I still believe those women and I still believe their stories and there are so many of them and their stories are so similar. But there really is no denying the impact of a show like the Cosby show and it giving us a show like a different world, you know, like we hadn't had a TV show where there were two black professionals, you know, the, the mom, I think is the uh, lawyer and the dad is the doctor, but it may be vice versa, but either way, these are like upper middle-class people who are black. And they're presenting, you know, themselves as like the ideal family and they have several kids and, you know, they're talking about getting their oldest kid to go to Hillman, which is Howard, which is like black Harvard. And it was just really interesting to, to grow up, like knowing that that's what you could strive for. And to see that representation at such an early age was really, really important to me. Like I wanted to be, um Clara Huxtable I wanted to be like the attorney Clara Huxtable so I had all of that but I also was very interested in dance because of all the music Mm -hmm. so I started doing ballet jazz tap modern hip-hop like just any kind of dance that I could do and got really really into music as a result of that I remember like the first CD I ever bought myself was TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool. Um, It was just everything, being able to go to a record store with your own money and pay pay for a CD. And like, you know, you got the liner notes in there and they got the lyrics. And that was also just a really cool album. Like that had Creep on it. That had like a lot of really good hits on it. Um. Yeah, I've, I've been, as as early as I can remember, I have been so, so, so completely entrenched in media, not because it was a way for my parents to be like, we need you to go pay attention to something else, go do this. And I read a lot when I was a kid too. Like I was that kid who wanted, like who would actually read the dictionary because I wanted to know what more words meant. Um you know, I remember this book called The Tawny Scrawny Lion that I used to have <laughs> my, my family read to me over and over and over again. But like, I, it wasn't a, a ways of being like, we're busy, we have things to do, you go watch the TV now. TV was very much a treat for us as we were growing up. 
Um, but also something that we did as a family. So in the mornings before school, we would watch The Price is Right because that was my grandmother's like favorite morning game show. And then we would watch Bozo, which is like huge in Chicago. Um, have you heard of this at all? No, Bozo? I'm going to be honest. I have not heard of Bozo. So Bozo is a clown. And he had like the Bozo Hour and basically he would have kids on there and they would play something called the Grand Prize Game every day. And it was basically like, um, <laughs> it was like uh, beer pong for children, essentially is the best way that I can describe it. And the more like uh, balls you were able to sink, the better your prizes were in the Grand Prize Game. And there were like little skits and stuff like that. Or we would watch Sesame Street in the mornings. Love Sesame Street. Mr. Rogers was on then. So we would always do that. And then when we got home from school, as I got older, it was KIDS Kids Incorporated, um, which (laughs) like was able to give us such talented artists as Fergie. Um, and then I would watch the Mickey Mouse Club, but like the iconic Mickey Mouse Club, not that it's ever not been iconic, because Annette Funicello was like my favorite OG, like uh, Disney person. But then this was the Disney, um, this was the uh, one with like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera and Ryan Gosling and Carrie Russell. And yeah, we used to, watch the Mickey Mouse Club all the time. When that went off, we would switch over to Nickelodeon and watch things like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because I was a spooky little kid. Um, and, or Clarissa Explains It All, or all that. Like, I just, there, there are so many different things that I can, like, remember just sitting in front of the TV and being like, I did my homework at school so that I could, like, get home and watch my tv programs you know do you have sense memories of like different like random episodes like where exactly you were you can like picture yourself there um kind of but it's more like it's it's more like that i just remember these very specific eras so there was like the era of time that we lived in the projects um, and like, I remember what our TV setup was like then, but then we got better TV. We got cable when we moved out of the projects and we moved all the way to the far South side of Chicago because, you know, my grandmother wanted us to be safer and wanted to give us a better chance at education. So they like skimped and saved and managed to send us to Catholic school, um, on the far South side of Chicago. Um, and so I, I remember like the apartment be- that I was in when I was w- young and watching like certain things. Um, I always have memories of like Christmas trees at the different houses um, where I grew up. Um, so at the apartment where we grew up in the projects, I remember we used to have to like bend down the Christmas tree a little bit because at the, it, it would be too tall for uh, the actual... Um, building that we were apartment that we were in and then we got so much more space when we moved out to the south side um and i remember like the position of the tv where the couch and the love seat were 
like where the the chair is that became our like catch chair. Like I just remember the positioning of all of that stuff and like where I used to put all of my things when I got home. There are definite sense memories and like if I'm smelling certain foods as well because mm -hmm. my grandmother who um, raised me along with my aunt, my mom was like in the picture but my grandmother had legal guardianship of me. So my grandmother cooked like every meal. Like we had hot breakfast every morning and then we, like she would make us lunch or give us lunch money when we got old enough. And then she would make dinner every single night, something new. It was wild. Like, I don't know how she had the energy to do it, but she did it. And so I remember certain smells coming from the kitchen and just being really excited about dinner and like watching my TV shows with a snack and just kind of like bopping along and being a kid. It was great. Yeah, no, I, I can relate to a lot of what you said, like um, the, the sense memories with the food specifically, like you can, if you smell that food, you can think of uh, being a kid and like you can remember where certain things like over the years, like in my, uh, where we lived, like the, the chairs would change like over time, like when my mm -hmm. parents got more money, they would like get a newer couch that was fancier, or, like a newer chair when my brother was born like uh, one of the Barca loungers that Joey and Chandler had in Friends, my parents were like, oh, we're going to get that um, as like when my brother was born so that like they could uh, feed the baby uh, there. But uh, I remember like the chairs that the rickety, like it was like very wood and then with like a futon basically. In the middle. Oh, so, like, yeah. I remember where I was watching different TV shows or movies and um, we had this big um, like CD player that, was this whole piece of equipment that where the TV was in the middle. Like, I don't even know how to describe it with words right now, but uh, like I can remember in pictures. So like seeing, hearing oh, how just you- like an can, entertainment like, center? Yeah, the entertainment system, yeah. Yeah. Um, just hearing how you're describing your childhood and how you can like visualize and remember um, and like smell some of these memories is yeah. super cool and super fascinating. Um, and it's like you, uh, I feel like I was also a child of like media and entertainment, um, from a young age, uh, between music and, uh, films, TV shows, books. Um, yeah. and so of all the things that you mentioned, did you have like an absolute favorite? Uh, yes. Um, absolute favorite was the wizard of Oz. Yes. Um, like I was, Dorothy or the Wicked Witch to the West or the uh, Glenda the Good Witch for Halloween like as a rotating thing every year for like six years it was a problem <laughs> um, <laughs> also uh, you mentioned Shirley Temple and I know we mentioned AJ earlier so you must have been having a great moment when he mentioned that he wanted all the box collection on that one episode of the podcast that you did together he wanted all the what? Remember when he, I think you did um, Taskmaster on Renap. Oh, and he yeah. Was like, he wanted the box collection of Shirley Temple, like with the, with the <laughs> stipend that they gave him. Yes. Uh, uh -huh. Yes, for sure. I was just like, no one ever talks about Shirley Temple anymore. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, I also remember like a lot of, a lot of ridiculous cartoons, like the Smurfs. Oh, my the, God. The, the Flintstones, He-Man and She-Ra, um, the, 
the chipmunks were around, of course. Like Alvin um, or Chippendale? Alvin. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely had that Christmas, Christmas time is here uh, record. I think it came with like a box of cereal or something. Um, uh, other other favorite things that I had, like I I always wanted ruby slippers. I, I kind of still do. I, I got myself these shoes that they're not red, but they're basically like they they're basically like a stand-in for ruby slippers. I plan on wearing them to a wedding soon. Um, like I I also was just one of those kids. We would go to like Kmart or like um, this place called Zayers, which is a store that does not exist in Chicago anymore. But it had like a separate, um, like the separate like kind of entertainment shop where all of the music was and all of the movies were. And so we would go there and we would rent music videos. And so I just remember learning all of the choreography to any Michael Jackson thing or any Janet Jackson thing and feeling really, really accomplished by the time we turn those tapes back in. Yeah. I vaguely remember Zara because I think it's also an East Coast thing. Uh, oh, really? Growing up in Boston, in the Boston suburbs. That's so. really funny. Uh, vaguely remember it because I remember my parents mentioning it one time and then we found one. Like I must have been like seven or eight and they were yeah. super excited. Um but uh, you mentioned that you were a spooky kid, uh, and yeah. I know you as a lover of horror and mm-hmm. horror uh, stories. Uh, do you have, besides, like, are you f- afraid of the dark? Do you have any uh, core memories of your first introduction to the genre, to uh, the spooky and creepy worlds and stories that you love today? Yeah, this is all my aunt's responsibility. My mom calls it fault. I say that it was a responsibility uh, and uh, a privilege. Um, so my aunt uh, was, uh, she, she passed away five years ago. Um, we were very, very close. I was born on her birthday. So we, and we were born three days before Christmas. So uh, we really kind of always got the short end of the stick birthday wise and really stuck together and like celebrated everything together every year. Um, and so it's, it's really tough not having her around, even to the point where like when horror movies come out that I know that she would love or think were ridiculous, like when Megan came out, I was like, (laughs) oh my God, my aunt would freaking love this. Um, so she was the one who started me at a very young age, like three, four years old. Um, way too young, but like in the eighties, no one knew any better, uh, started me watching horror, horror things. And it started off with one of my all time favorite shows to this day, maybe my all time favorite show, the twilight zone. And just like the original Rod Serling, uh, twilight zone, we would watch all the episode, episode after episode. I know that still sci-fi every new year's Eve does a marathon, Um, and my aunt and I, in her like last years, we would watch that marathon together. But I remember, um, very vividly, uh, when, you know, for being good at school, because my grades were like impeccable. That was the one thing that I always made sure of is that I had very, very good grades in school and I would get rewarded. So my family would wake up, 
on a Saturday morning and my aunt and I would be gone and there would be a note that like I took Kiki, which is my, my family's nickname for me because of my middle name being Keontea. Um, so I, I took Kiki to the movies downtown. We'll be back sometime before dinner. And we would go see a double or a triple feature of like Freddy Krueger and Jason and, uh, you know, like, like Child's Play, like whatever, like wild 80s slasher, Friday the 13th, like whatever it was, we were there and we were excited to see it. And I remember very vividly going to see a Freddy Krueger and Jason like back-to-back double feature and then kind of emerging from the theater and it's like not like not light out anymore and just realizing how spooky the whole thing felt and how I liked being scared. Like there was something about the, um, the safety in knowing that, um, I was being scared in like a very controlled setting wherein nothing was actually going to harm me. So it felt more like a thrill than anything else. And I still, still, still to this day get those like warm, fuzzy feelings of being terrified and happen to watch way too many horror movies still. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. um, And you must be loving the like kind of horror peak that we've been yes it's like the camp horrors like you mentioned megan cocaine bear uh yes. the uh what's the one with uh the the airbnb barbarian oh, the rental oh yeah that one too but barbarian was the one i was oh barbarian yeah. yeah yeah um uh, yeah i'm yeah. loving the horror renaissance that's going on right now um like anything renaissance i'm loving but yeah. the the horror yeah exactly <laughs> Drinking my water, minding my biz. Um, yeah, like I I have been so excited about just how many, I mean, even with just Shudder, the amount of things that may not even make it to the theater, but then like, you know, get distribution rights and make it on the Shudder. I get so excited when there's new things out there to be afraid of. Um and then there are like the horror kind of people that you look forward to. They have like, uh, you know, uh, must see kind of horror things like an Alex Garland or an Ari Aster or, um, you know, someone like that. And now like, you know, new writers who have come on the scene, like, um, you know, the people in charge of the, behind Barbarian, for example, um, or Lights Out or, you know, things like that. Like these are just, uh, and then we've got the conjuring universes for your creature features. Like these are just like fantastic old school, like horror elements being infused into everyday life. And I absolutely freaking love it. Like, it makes me so happy that there's so much more horror out there. And I like the fact, I mean, something that we have bonded over is like the fact that we care deeply about representation and how it matters um, on screen, behind the scenes in uh, storytelling Um, and the prevalence of people of color and women creating these stories nowadays. Like, I mean, Jordan Mm -hmm. Peele, James Wan, you mentioned the Conjuring universe. Like that's uh, like, I am not like LaTanya and do not love the horror movies, but (laughs) I do try to make an effort to push myself to support 
people of color and women storytellers in this medium because I think they have oftentimes something more interesting to say these days as opposed to like the traditional horror that I'm not the biggest fan of because I am a scaredy cat. I um, have so much respect for the people that can do it, but I loved Nope. That was one of my favorite movies of last year. Yeah. And How can I'm, I leave out Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta? Yes. Um, and uh, also, uh, like, the, I, I mean, Megan, uh, there was a woman of color, and I forget, <laughs> but she wrote it. Yeah. Um, and, a black woman uh, wrote it. Uh, and so I just am excited for these new types of stories they can play around with with the horror genre and play on tropes. Um, there's a movie coming out in June that seems super interesting called The Blackening, I think is what it's called. Um, it's a horror movie satire. Um, okay. So it's about like this uh, black group of friends and this uh, this racist monster starts um, attacking and I forget who's involved, but there's like a big name. Uh, I gotta look this up because I don't want to speak out of uh, not knowing what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, so it's uh, they go to this cabin and there's a killer with a vendetta, and Yvonne Orgy's in it, so that's that's why I'm so Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to, and it's um, Tracy Oliver and Dwayne Perkins wrote it, so uh, like they're gonna play with a lot of tropes. It's like a comedy horror. Um, so okay. I'm interested. Yeah, in the, no, I love a comedy horror movie. I'm interested in seeing how that translates to um, like the screen, and uh, I think there are definitely like interesting stories with like Latino horror figures i know they did la llorona i know it was controversial i didn't actually see it um the, yeah um, it wasn't that great so you weren't really missing anything yeah. I, I saw it so that you you don't have to thank you that's that's latanya's oftentimes like i'm like <laughs> latanya's seen it so i can i can uh yeah. get her perspective instead yeah um but like i think there's a lot of like folklore that could also be played with in terms of like the latine folklore out there so I, I think horror is such a fascinating concept and i try to read mm-hmm. the wikipedia summaries of things that i know i'm too scared to watch um yeah and but- like mari fourth uh said to me once because we were talking about whether or not we wanted to go see a specific movie that was like a movie we wanted to support but um we didn't know if we were going to be able to put up with just like the the weight of it Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, there are a lot of stories that are written about black people nowadays where there's yeah. just so much tragedy that it's really hard to, to, to get yourself into the state of mind where that's what yeah. you want to go and watch. Like as your like leisure during your leisure time. Mm-hmm. So Mari uh, was just like, you can always buy a ticket. You can give it away if you want, but you don't even have to mention it. You've already bought the ticket. They'll get the money. Yeah. And and so that's what I think when it comes to like supporting horror, I definitely say like push your your comfort zone a little bit and like go with a friend if you really think you're going to be freaked out by something. But yeah. like especially when it's Jordan Peele, like uh, or someone like Nia DaCosta, who uh, directed the new Candyman, the newest Candyman movie, um, I definitely say like put your you know, put your money out there, yeah. uh, support these people because we basically as like people of color have to prove that our movies and our TV shows can appeal to white people yeah. essentially just because essentially just because um, it's 
for so long been the case that the person that everyone is supposed to be able to identify is like cis and white. And there's no reason that that has to be. People can put themselves in anyone's shoes. That's the whole point and power of a movie. So it's just, I think, really important for us to um, just like do what we can to support these creators that are out there. And that doesn't include just the ones that, you know, like Jordan Peele now has plenty of support, but there are plenty of up and coming writers and directors and, you know, people of color who are telling their stories that you can support as well. Not just for like horror movies, but I know Kevin talks a lot about this with uh, the Marvel movies. And now I'm at the point where like, I don't know if I'm going to go see every opening night showing of a Marvel movie, but like Mm -hmm. if there's someone that is important to like, identify with like for the marvels you best believe i will be there opening night yeah tiana paris just like supporting three women of color just yeah in the, like uh there um little mermaid i will be there opening night to support exactly. Daily. um so like i uh just want uh spider-verse of course like mm-hmm. just showing up for creators of color just to get them the same opportunities moving forward um yes. that their white peers are given for not always hitting the same marks. Like they have to work a For lot. Hitting no to... marks, you know. Yeah. Like people, like one of the biggest, uh, that like not biggest, but one of the most to- often told stories is how HBO gave Lena Dunham a whole ass like overall deal, and all she had was an outline, mm-hmm. like an unfinished outline for girls. Yet you can have a finished film, and not be able to get an opportunity in the same way because of the color of your skin or your uh your religion you know or something or just not having the right like strings to pull so it's really it's really important that we start to try to create some parity in terms of whose stories are told and and therefore whose stories we are told matters yeah and um, that's like one of my biggest goals, at least self goals when I ca- came out here. I was like, regardless of what I do, I want to try to always be pushing for people of color um, and marginalized voices of other, uh, mm. like across different spectrums. So, like, whether it's like uh, non men and their stories or queer stories, people of color stories, like. When I moved out here, I had a lot of passion for getting in the kids' media market, and okay. I'm still open to it. I just also, there's a lot of things out there that I don't even know where I'm going anymore. I'm just kind of like going with what I feel is best in the moment. But one of the reasons why I was so drawn to it, not just for like the personal attachment, but I think there's a lot of um, power in the media that the kids experience because they learn from a young age if there's a lot more compassion and representation in those stories, uh, then I think that will help create a kinder environment. Obviously, there's also like the parental aspects like then, uh, but it's like kids watch media regardless if their parents like it or not. Um, Oh, for sure. Always gonna be like, if they're at some friend's house and they're watching some show, that's at least like a start to a conversation that could be had. Um, Yeah, exactly. So uh, you also mentioned um, being, so not just like the horror stuff, but um, I think of you as not just a big like prestige TV person, but you also watch a lot of movies. Like 
I know we did a podcast together about uh, historical stories and uh, Mm -hmm. like biographical and the importance of like being uh, authentic to those stories. But like, uh, where did your love of movies come from? Like, is it just like the the movies you watch and you just fell in love? I know horror movies specifically, but uh, do you remember like any standout movie experiences that were like, oh, I love this type of storytelling? Yeah. Um, and this is going to be a really weird one kind of out of left field, but uh, a, a couple out of left field ones. So I think my aunt is all, all, also responsible for my love of movies. And the reason, that, uh, just period. And the reason for that is my grandmother was never really into movies. She was born in, the, in Mississippi in 1936. So getting to the movies wasn't like a big priority for her. And <laughs> whenever we took her to the movies with us, or she would take us so that we could get in to see a certain movie, she would fall asleep every time, every time fall asleep in the movie theater so she could care less about like what we were watching and what we were doing but my aunt really did care so I started watching a lot of like old-fashioned black and white movies we watched a lot of Hitchcock um we watched uh a lot of um what was the Betty Davis Joan Crawford uh, movie whatever happened to baby Baby Jane Jane, yeah. yeah that was huge in our house and so was a movie called The Ten Commandments. Um, now, this is a movie that now we would look at and be like ridiculous casting. <laughs> like, there's no right reason that like this person should be playing the Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, but like, it was Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston um, for all of his faults. Um, even though we went to the same university, that's the only thing that we ever had in common. Um, but like, it was just epic, such epic storytelling that, um, I was just taken in by it. And plus, you know, I was raised Christian. So, um, you know, the way my church went is that church service would start at 10 AM and then we would get done at like 3 PM and then we would go home and we would eat and we would come back at 6 PM for evening church service. And since I went to Catholic school for a good period in my life, there was one week a month where your attendance at church was mandatory at mass. So we would go to early mass, then still go to the 10 o'clock service, just be a little late, and then still go to the 6 p.m. service. So like I, I grew up spending hours in church. I grew up spending so much like every summer in vacation Bible school. So um, a story like the Ten Commandments and like, you know, Moses and the parting of the Red Sea and to see all of that rendered with special effects that still kind of hold up given like when they were, this movie was made. um, That was a really big, really big movie for me. Um, Another, another thing that we used to, like, I, I remember growing up, it's just like my family falling in love with Denzel Washington and just being there shamelessly for like everything that he did. Um, I remember movies like uh, What's Love Got to Do With It and the Josephine, excuse me, the Josephine Baker story um, being really important. 
movies like Eve's Bayou. Um, like we watched some of everything. Um, it was all about like what mood my aunt and I were in. And, you know, I would get just like an equal share in picking movies, even when I was very young. And there was some stuff that I wanted to watch that I wasn't able to because it was way too over my head. Like I was just way too young for it. But for the most part, um, unless it was like a dramatic amount of like sex and or violence, my family was pretty open when it came to like what I was allowed to watch because I was pretty mature for my age. You were always talking to adults. I was always talking to adults. Yeah. And I was in charge of the other kids that were at the house too. Yeah. Um, No. So I, I can uh, relate to like the, not as much, but like um, my grandma, every time I go to Brazil, she was always like, we're going to church. Um, And Mm -hmm. like, she spends hours there. That's like kind of her community right now. Um, So I can connect with that aspect. Uh, But uh, I I love how something that inspires me about you is that you have so much love for like the history of films as well as like what is coming out now, and uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. Like you you said you love reading the dictionary, but you're kind of like an encyclopedia of movies and TV in my opinion, just because you have so much knowledge and like a wealth of everything. Anyways, uh, LT, the last big like kind of topic we haven't discussed is tv and i know it's like evolved over the years and you mentioned some of the tv shows Mm -hmm. that you like started out with but like um when i think of like shows that you cover i think of like two categories like i mean you're the reason i watched insecure which is one of my favorite (laughs) all-time shows because i think you were a very big proponent of what is now known as the psr connect um yes so uh that is awesome to see like all the different shows that you've gotten to cover via that vehicle with like Mari Chappelle and the miscellaneous guests that you bring on. Uh, but also like you are very much a prestige TV person. Like you uh, have the Versus podcast, which is oftentimes comparing two prestige shows. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you uh, watch a lot of different TV shows. Uh, where did this like love of like big storytelling in the landscape of television come from i know you mentioned some of your favorite shows early on but uh are there any like standout shows from uh growing up and then even like in your 20s that like stand out to you as to where how you got to where you are in terms of like the shows that you watch and cover these days yeah um this is a place where i can like grow up a little bit in terms of the stories that i'm telling so um I mean, I, I was really into watching a lot of television when I was in high school. Um, one of the shows that I think had the biggest, like most profound impact on me, and it was only one season long, was My So-Called Life with Claire Danes um, and Jared Leto. Um, and uh, this was pr- before he was all method. It was like mm. one of his first acting roles. Um And I just absolutely, absolutely loved it. Loved the show. Uh, Could identify with Angela so much. And, um, you know, it was just something that I was excited to come home to new episodes of. Um, I, like, had my braids at that point. I got them cut into a bob so that they looked like Angela Chase's hair. 
Uh, it was like a whole thing. Um, and then uh, as I like was around, I think this was around college time for me when they started airing like Lost and Alias. Um, and I got really into Lost, just like the whole mystery box part mm-hmm. of it uh, was really interesting to me. Um, and really, really loved that. Um, but then in college, um, a friend of mine had the DVD box sets of every season of The Sopranos. Ooh. And I had never seen The Sopranos before. I mean, we had HBO, but like it just wasn't on my radar. So I started watching The Sopranos and uh, I asked if, it, if I could have permission to take the DVDs home with me over winter break. And I did. And so my aunt and I sat down with my uh, sister and decided to watch this show. And we were just completely blown away by it. Like, just could not think of any other show before it that reached that same level of excellence, of cast, of writing, of, you know, just like overall plan for the seasons, of the way things were shot, like the directing, the cinematography, the music, everything about it was so intentional and it and seemed important at the time um you know that was during a time of of like where there was a lot of random interesting tv on but like there were a lot of legal shows i remember boston legal was like the thing that was somehow beating the sopranos at the time like people are still talking not that i'm saying that boston legal was a bad show or anything but people aren't still like, oh, you know, that Boston legal that that I wonder what happened at the end of that show. You know, they're talking about the Sopranos and that really started to like wet my whistle a little bit in terms of my love for prestige TV. And I just wanted to seek out more things like it. And, you know, knowing that uh, the creator came Matthew Weiner came from the final season of the Sopranos was really important and influenced my decision in terms of watching Mad Men mm-hmm. um, Mad Men a show that I obsessed over for like in real time for way too many years at least with the Sopranos I kind of felt like okay I uh, you know have the DVDs for most of this and the rest of it, I'll get to see play out in like IRL. And then at the same time, the wire is going on. And and like I had no idea how good this show was. And I do another thing where, you know, we have everything on demand at this point. So my family and I end up binging the wire and then watching that live as it ends its like last few seasons. And so that was amazing to see. I, and you know, then everything came along with Mad Men and then Breaking Bad. And, you know, we kind of have like, you know, we make it up to kind of almost the present day in terms of those huge TV shows that are, for better or worse, completely changing the zeitgeist, completely changing the way that we make and enjoy television in the first mm-hmm. place. So I'm thinking now about Succession, for example. Insecure goes on that list because, I I mean, like what other show was there about an awkward Black woman just trying to figure out her life that like 
got such backing in you know in the history of television i loved insecure and i'm so glad that uh the podcast because i had like seen the first episode in a class like i did an understanding tv class which was kind of like a history of television and every week would like Mm. explore the evolution and like we had a week about like uh the uh reality shows in the 2000s and like Mm -hmm. the real world survivor we had a week about um like the the prestige like the genre breaking stuff of the 2000s like with lost and everything but we had one of the last classes because it went from evolution so like we had a week early on about i love lucy and like the early sitcoms but insecure i remember we watched the pilot with the famous rap um yes that gets called back on in the finale that i love that moment Uh i love that moment too um, like, uh, I remember I was, like, such a fan of it. I was like, oh, I'll add it to my list. And then I never got around to it until I saw that you, Mari, and Chappelle were doing the podcast. I was like, okay, time to finally catch up. <laughs> and um, I didn't catch up live. I, like, I was working on a set. So I, like, didn't have a ton of, like, free time besides weekends. And then I was trying to, like, be more social with my weekends back then. But then I remember when I was doing this, like, freelance unemployment era, I was like, okay, let me mm. finally watch it. I watched it, like, within like a week and a half if less and I felt like you know when you watch a show and then you like have dreams about the show and like yeah. you can't stop thinking about the show for like days after and oh you're like, yeah I miss my friends I miss Lisa and yes. Molly and Kelly like that was my feeling with Insecure it was one of my favorite TV watching experiences I mean I I'm a big Natasha Rothwell fan and everything she does. Issa Rae, of course. Like, I want to support and show up for these cast members and everything they do. I am just, like, so glad that I got to experience the show. And I have to thank you, Mari and Chappelle, for, like, doing the podcast um, because it, like, pushed me. And then after I finished, I binge listened to all the podcasts um, because I was like, (laughs) I need more insecure content. I can't can't let go. I felt that way about the show Watchmen. Um, I, with Regina King and Yaya Abdul, uh, Mateen third, uh, I was just like, what is this show? Like, what is going on? Is anything actually allowed to be this good? Is it really this subversive? Is it really telling history? Like it actually is like, this feels like television reparations almost. Um, so that was like a really huge one for me um to go along with something like an insecure which obviously like aired uh its episodes later um insecure went on for quite a long time though um yeah like it had several seasons over the course of like many many years um and then there's other like there's all this prestige tv that like i i nearly forget that i've seen like i love but love so much like station 11 or maniac or mr robot or um like you know even like american horror story like the coven season um that just i mean angela bassett just angela bassett did the thing um as, as some would say um and it was just, it, it's just been such a great time to be alive and like love television, but also a really, really excellent time to be podcasting about TV shows because there is so much television out there. 
which is like both amazing but also overwhelming i don't know if you ever yes. feel like the decision paralysis for things that you're not podcasting about but like i was yes. telling you in the pre-show i was like i want to be part of the conversation with succession so i binged it but then i put off poker face and shrinking and the mandalorian mm-hmm. just to like catch up on succession and now that i'm caught up i'm like well barry comes out this week and i gotta binge that but i don't know what to like juggle it's like um, I've never seen The Sopranos. That's one of my biggest pop culture blind spots. And I've oh, been wanting wow. to watch it for a long time. Same with Mad Men. My parents loved Mad Men. And like as an 11 year old, I was like, this show is for old people. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, 11 year old. I, I remember they would watch it on like Thanksgiving breaks. And I was like, let's watch a movie. And they were like watching with like my uh, godfather. And they were just like sitting there. And I was like, let's watch something more interesting to my childhood brain. Right. Um, but I want to watch Mad Men, and I've actually done the research. It is not streaming anywhere right now, at least last time I checked, which is annoying. Um, but my parents if, have the DVDs. Yeah, if you um, if you have Amazon Prime, there's something like, I think it might be on Freebie or something okay. like that. Oh, um, now it's on AMC Plus. Okay. And, and AMC Plus. Yeah. Um, but oh, you yeah, gotta have, that's okay. an extra subscription. Yeah, no, because I uh, had AMC Plus for the last season of Better Call Saul, and then I got rid of it. Um, yeah. Because that is one of my, I like it more than Breaking Bad. Um, but I love, I love the Vince Gilligan shows. And um, I like Bre- Better Call Saul was like, that was something that like sparked creativity in me again, like for the first time in years watching it. I was like, oh, I would love to be a part of something like this. Um, but then it like gets the imposter syndrome like oh I could never do it this is so good like I can never touch something oh like no you don't need to have imposter syndrome I think you're already proving like that you have everything within you to make what it is that you want to make it's just about doing the work and like getting out of yeah. your own way yeah and it's like putting the time to do it which is like the hardest thing is like because like yeah. we talked about like sometimes you just want to go home and sleep like yeah. And uh, a lot yeah. of like the industry things in college, what uh, they were saying is like, you have to write every day. And I'm like, I don't have the energy for that. How do people I do know, it? I know. I like, know. I don't know um, how people do it. Uh, I really what don't. are your comfort shows? Like, is it all these prestige stuff? Or do you like have like uh, an escapist comedy? That, for me, that's usually my comfort show. I, I, um, and I know Jessica Sterling also loves her sitcoms as well. So that's what she classifies. But do you have comfort shows or is it horror movies? Um, honestly, horror movies are very comforting to me. Um, so that's funny that you would say that because that's true. Um, I do like when I'm when I'm feeling kind of down, I'll just like find a new horror movie because I know I'm gonna get that like that burst of adrenaline that causes yeah. like the serotonin um, uptick as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess they're like The Crown is one of those shows that I've just seen the episodes like a million times, um, and that's why I was so frustrated with this most recent season. First of all, because they got a man with lips to play Prince Charles. I never. Um, (laughs) Second of all, (laughs) like, you're honestly going to tell me that I'm supposed to believe that McNulty and Prince Charles are the same human person? Okay. And then I found out that uh, IRL, the guy who plays uh, Prince Charles, his wife is like uh, tangentially royal. So they act, they're like friends with Prince Charles. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah. So like he he very much I think had an influence on getting the story to be told in this most recent season to like make it look like Prince Charles is actually a good guy who cares about the modernizing of the uh uh of the system and like cares about like you know people from uh poor and displaced parts of the world or even just the you know the black and brown people that are very much a part of his citizenry you know yeah um when i just don't believe any of that is true at all yeah i just don't believe it they've never showed any evidence to make that seem like it was something that was real um and then you know like they have elizabeth debicki who you might as well had like shot out of a cannon to play the role of princess diana she's so like perfect at this but they completely just you know uh mire her in all of these like all of these like uh weird interactions with the press and her and making her seem paranoid and you know all of these other things that you know normally people would kind of call character assassination Mm -hmm. like it's just it's just really odd but like i remember those early seasons the first time i ever saw the crown i was actually uh for i was at work uh for an event and i had some time off um during the day and i was at a hotel and so I started watching The Crown because it was like a Marriott so you could get like your Netflix mm-hmm. on the on the TV. And I was like, I've never seen this show before. This seems like the perfect show to watch in a nice hotel. And it was. And it was glorious. And I'm really glad that I did it. And it got me really into the show and into the actors portraying the characters. But um, there's something about when they switch casts like that first season, it's almost as if they have to iron out wrinkles before yeah. they can really get to the good stuff. Um, so I don't know. That's very interesting um, to see. That's like a comfort food show for me. Another one would probably be um, Gilmore Girls. Like I can just turn on Gilmore Girls or Law and Order SVU. <laughs> Those and are very different shows. Very different shows. But, like, I can work so well to SVU and Gilmore Girls. Like, I can work out to Gilmore Girls for whatever reason. Um, those are definitely two comfort shows for me. Yeah. I need to get back on the Gilmore Girls. But, again, there's so much content. There's like, so I, much content. Like, I don't know how you choose. Right? Um, like, I have seen the first season of Gilmore Girls. I work at Stars Hollow, basically. Like, I, Because uh, that's, like some of the most rewarding parts of the job is like showing Gilmore girl fans from around the world. Like when they get, like, I've seen people cry when we go by Luke's like, oh. it is like a beautiful experience, like how much the show means to people. Yeah. Um, and then some of the most heartbreaking stuff is when it's closed because Courtney Cox's show shining veil vale was filming there. And I had to tell like a girl from some different country that flew all the way to LA just to see it. And she was like 13 oh, no. and she starts sobbing. Uh, I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's I didn't do fault. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I like that is something <laughs> that, that child is that's yeah, her origin to... story. She's like, damn you, Shining Bell. <laughs> I will that's avenge she's like... you. She, she's, girls. The, she's the ghost in Courtney Cox's home. Seriously, she yeah. is. <laughs> um, but 
like I, I, it's a fun show. It's like light and fluffy and popcorny, um, but there's also like uh, a lot of fun, but also some like serious moments. Um, I like yeah. Gilmore Girls. I, uh, it took a couple episodes for me to get into. It's one of my best friends, her favorite show. She has a joke that as soon as she's done, as soon as she's done watching it, she just starts from season one again. Um, <laughs> but a very important question: Who's your favorite Roy boyfriend? Oh, I thought you were going to go swarm on me. Man, we didn't even talk about swarm. Oh, oh God, what a show. That's all. That's, I mean, we'll go- At- Atlanta is amazing. And this swarm was written by, uh, co-created by Janine Neighbors and, uh, and Donald Glover, Janine Neighbors being a Juilliard playwright. Um, so also from Houston, Texas. I don't know what's in the water, <laughs> but there's something. Uh my favorite, uh, honestly, sentimental favorite has has been always will be Kendall Roy. Like oh. I don't care how much he messes up, I I stand by him. I don't believe I can change him um, at all. But I <laughs> completely relate to this feeling. Like there were moments where I was binge watching Succession with like things that I was going on my personal life where like one of the characters would just say something so mean to him and i could feel that like as if they were attacking me because it was like the i was like empathizing with him in certain moments like i can acknowledge that he's also a toxic white man yeah we are different in some aspects but then there was like some of the depression that he was going through i was just like oh this like hits and like i feel attacked like (laughs) i know and like just the way that like he (sighs) The way that his father manipulated him um, in his like deepest hour of need took him out of a place where he was going to get mental health treatment mm-hmm. and made him come back and like be his lapdog essentially. Like just terrible parenting. You completely see why the Roy siblings are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Their mother and father are both pieces of work to say the least. And, but I don't know, there's something about Kendall that just, I, I, I'm rooting for him. I want him to, to succeed. I don't know why, like, he's a terrible person. We all saw what happened when he was like left to his own devices and able to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. He threw a party where he quote, wanted everyone to go nut nut, <laughs> you know, you know, like <laughs> just a despicable human being. But at the same time, He's got that kind of like hangdog face and those big eyes. And you're just kind of like, oh, don't let anything bad happen to Kendall. Yeah. No, I like the Roys. I love them. I hate them. I have all the feelings about them. I know. I know. um, As you should. Also, like, just because I told you I was watching it for the first time to, like, catch up for to be part of society, um, I had no idea. I knew Matthew McFadden was British. I had no idea Sarah Snook, Snook, she was Australian. Yeah. I was like, what? I know. (laughs) For me, her accent slips sometimes. I mean, so does Matthew McFadden's, but, like, Sarah Snook's accent will slip sometimes. Like, this past week's episode, she asked for an Advil. And just the way that she said it. And then she said, you don't have to think anything of it. And I was like, oh, I can hear it. I can hear it. But um, no. I probably will hear it now that I know it. But like, because I caught up and this was the most recent episode. So then I saw that after the, like the HBO look inside. Yeah. Um, 
It's yeah. always amazing to me when, like, I, I didn't know for the longest time uh, that Idris Elba, who played Stringer Bell, was not from America. Like, <laughs> I was like, what's this bizarro land where he's speaking this with an English accent? Like, is he doing this on purpose? Uh, and very much learned that he's from Great Britain. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh hopefully like i root for him and he i want him to succeed in all things i love Idris Elba. yeah uh, me too so uh one last question that i like to ask for you specifically is um one of your uh at least via the podcast one of your prides and joys in life is being an aunt to two adorable little nephews uh happy belated birthday to one of them um, and so how is your identity really as an aunt uh, shape the media you consume, the media you like now these days as an yeah. aunt. Um, and what are you as an aunt also trying to introduce to them uh, given the parameters that I'm assuming you're not allowed to show them like Chucky or um, right. horror movies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we're not going to start things off the way they started with me, um, with these two kids. So um, I am... I am not lucky. I'm blessed that I don't have to deal with a lot of the stuff that they like to watch because, you know, I see them for a few hours at a time and then they get to, and I get to spoil them and let them have whatever they want. And I send them back home to their parents. Um, so like, I don't have to put up with the constant Sesame street or the constant, uh, what is his name? Cocomelon. <laughs> or any of that crap. Like when they come over here, uh, I normally like Gabe loves Hamilton. Ooh, good choice. Um, yeah, the Skylar Sisters is his favorite song. When he was a little baby, I would I put on Hamilton one time and he just kind of stood up and just started like going back and forth. Like that's his dance, that's all he can do. Um, but he was just like really into it and he had like his his face was like tuned, like it was really cute. Um, so I, but I play a lot of music around them because I want them to, uh, love music just as much as I do. Like I, my day gets better the second I put on music, you know, I've learned that it really does have something to do with my moods quite a bit. So I want them to love music as much as I do. I want them to love all different kinds of music. So I play lots of different stuff for them. Um, I'll put on a musical of some kind whenever they come over that I can watch as well. It's not just for kids. And every time my sister is like, oh my God, why with the musicals? Because <laughs> my sister yelled at me <laughs> because she saw um, Megan and she was, she was like, how dare you? And I was like, what? And she was like, why did you recommend Megan to me? That movie was terrible. And I was like, what didn't you like about it? And she was like, it's it a was musical. a freaking musical. <laughs> That's what I loved about it. <laughs> I know. I saw her the same thing. I was like, yeah, and it was fantastic. And she was just like, you know, I hate musicals. So yeah, we'll watch like In the Heights or yeah, or uh, Matilda, uh, the most recent one that came out on uh, Netflix. Uh, we We watched the sequel to um mm, what is it called 
the the one where Amy Adams is like a Disney oh, princess. Disenchanted. Yeah, we watched the the gentrification movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just kind of have fun when they come over. Uh, yeah. Or I'll just be too busy, like you know, tickling them, or like you know, they're chasing me, or something that uh, you know we'll get caught up in like a YouTube hole of Fine. things. Yeah. Um, are they? I'm assuming since your sister doesn't like musicals, I'm assuming they're not Disney kids at all. They don't watch Disney movies. Um, they watch Disney movies with me. Yeah, yeah, that's something I make sure of because I got a healthy healthy punch of disney movies growing up like i i love disney movies so like me too um, yeah um also if you're looking for something that's like adorable fun of fun colors it's animated it's on netflix it's called vivo it's uh oh. written the songs are written by lin-manuel miranda okay. it's a fun musical it's about this king Pichu who goes from cuba to miami and it's like a music inspired like it's a there's a lot of music as part of the story so Oh, that um, and sounds great. Course. So okay. that's, that's a recommendation from me. And I love it. Uh, like it's on my Spotify rotation and it's a kid's movie music, but I, I love it so much. Um, and it has like a stacked cast. It's like uh, Zoe Saldana's in it. Um, She's uh, in everything. Nicole Byer, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love that, um, you know, like adults, especially in Disney and Pixar, they realize that, parents are the ones that have to take these kids to these movies yeah um so they always put in something fantastic that the the like parents can appreciate and understand yeah no rewatching some of the like toy story monsters inc it's like funny on a different way like shrek too like uh yeah. like as from when i was a kid to like now it's like sometimes it's like oh my god i can't believe this was in a kid's movie but it's also like super funny for the parents um, cause I know right. my parents loved Toy Story or at least I hope they loved Toy Story, but they watched it a lot because I watched it a lot. So, yeah. Or um, like with the little mermaid, you go back and you're like, I can't believe that they showed this to us. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you're um, telling I'm the woman to get rid of her voice so that she can, uh, go get a man. Okay. It's wild. Like Disney movies be wild out here. Yeah, they um, really are. Uh, but I'm excited to see uh the new little mermaid like will it be good i don't know but i'm there to support and the music will be good because the she music will be sing. great yes she has a glorious voice yeah i'm really so excited the for that. tone of a bell it's so clear yeah um well anyways latanya now i want to ask you the thesis uh i guess like how do you think media has shaped you as an individual I mean, it's obviously been a huge part of your life. You've told a lot of stories of like different aspects of media, but uh, do you feel like your personality is at all shaped by like the content you watch, your individuality, uh, like how media has shaped Latanya? What's what's your uh, summary? Yeah, I think media has shaped me like a clay mold, <laughs> honestly. Like I, I am now shaped into the shape of a television. Um <laughs> Like I, there, there's just, there's so much about my personality that wouldn't exist without movies. Even like, you know, silly little quotes of like ridiculous, you know, uh, Adam Sandler movies that my friends and I will quote at each other or like Step Brothers or something ridiculous like, you know, Brian Fantana from Anchorman. Um, 
I, I really don't know if I would have half of my personality without pop culture and movies and music. Like, I don't know how I would keep myself from being so constantly bored for one, uh, because I'm bored all the time. It's really a problem. Yeah. Um, so I have to figure out something that's going to engage me intellectually or else I just like can't deal with life. Um, and I've been really thankful to have found just so much great TV, movie, music content that has, you know, picked me up when I'm at my lowest point. You know, I mean, there were movies that I watched that I, you know, I've had several health problems um, over the, especially over the past three, last three years. And I've been in the ICU twice. And if it weren't for the fact that I had my laptop and was able to like watch movies, I don't know if I would have made it through. Um, it's, it's just so important to me to be able to have something that occupies my time while at the same time making me think, while at the same time making me want to be a better version of myself so I can produce something that's half as good as what is already out there. Yeah. No, uh, thank you for sharing all the stories. Like, I mean, I love the relationship you shared with your aunt and I'm so sorry that um, for your loss. And I just thank appreciate you. your vulnerability with that because I mean, your family is a big part of how media uh, shapes you, I believe. Like the mm -hmm. people that you surround yourself oftentimes in, like lead to the things that you consume. Right. Like I uh, don't think I would have watched as much reality TV in my life if I wasn't a listener of Rob as a podcast from the age of 14. Uh, and that's not like my immediate family, but that was like a found family in my life where they yeah. were like, oh, we're going to talk about like Big Brother. So I started watching Big Brother, too. And that's just like a small example. But obviously, my parents are a big factor. Like, I think the reason that my Portuguese is as strong as it is is because my parents would play VHS tapes of Disney movies in Portuguese for me. So like, it's a part of like your identity. So I appreciate you sharing the story you shared with your aunt and yeah, um, the connection with horror movies. And uh, I love how vibrant your household seems like when uh, you were growing up, like with all the music. Um, it seems like a fun time. And obviously you're a fun person. So it must have been. Um, we, had, uh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it really makes me miss you know, now that my grandmother is in a nursing home with dementia, my aunt's gone. Like yeah. it, it really, really makes me miss those, those years, those days. And, you know, if there's something about just being able to talk about the times that I had with them when things were different, you know, when yeah. I was growing up that I think honors them. And I, I know my grandmother's not gone anywhere yet, but you can still honor the people that you love, even when they're here. No, for sure. And um, my grandma is also uh, struggling with dementia. So I think a lot. About about, um, thank you. Um, likewise to you. But um, I like it. You remember like a lot of my memories with my uh, loved ones are often surrounded by media. Like and it's mm -hmm. a big part of my identity um, is I mean, I moved out to L.A. to pursue mm -hmm. the industry. Right. So um so i am very curious about this topic and how media shapes people especially like for you who like covers so much good media out there like you are always like podcasting about something whether it's 
uh, The Last of Us, Station Eleven, Top Chef, The Insecure. Like you, you've been uh, on these podcast streets and are always such a joy to listen to. And I'm so thankful that you gave your time to little old me today uh, oh, because this was such it. a lovely time. Yeah, no, I had a really good time talking with you about this. And it doesn't seem like we've been talking all that long, but like right? we covered a lot of ground. I feel like this was like a three hour conversation. But when I look at the runtime, <laughs> it was like not even an hour and a half if you include the like quick little stop. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that this is a conversation that needed to be had and we needed to have it. Yes. So. And uh, with that said, obviously, I don't know when this is going to drop because I want to bank a couple more episodes before I start releasing. So mm-hmm. this could be in like two months for all I know. But at this moment, what do you have going on, Latanya? <laughs> yeah, at this very moment. Um, well, you mentioned the Connect early earlier. Me, Mari, and Chappelle are your Connect to Snowfall, which is airing its final episode ever next week um it is the very last season of the of a show that um is kind of a combination of the sopranos and breaking bad but if it were black um and it is a great show we've had a great time covering it uh we also just released our final uh episode of our swarm coverage the uh show that i mentioned earlier that's co-created by Janine Neighbors and Donald Glover and even has Malia Obama as a writer in the writer's room. Um, so you might want to check that out. That's on Amazon Prime. Big Dominique Fishback fan. Dominique Fishback has been fantastic for such a long time. And it's really great that people are finally able to see in this just how great she is. So I'm glad that she got to do this project. Um, I'm also uh, doing the feedback show right now for The Mandalorian. There's also only one episode of that TV show left in this season. Um, so join me and DM Philly and Brenda Fitzpatrick as we talk about that. Um, we'll be talking about other Star Wars related stuff coming up as well. Um, you know, there's uh, Ahsoka, which is going to be coming out um, not too far from now. So we've got that in the hopper. We didn't even um, talk about like nerd culture at all, like with the, your love of Marvel and Star Wars. We could have a whole part two of this one day. <laughs> Maybe we should. Yeah. Nerd culture runs deep with me. I am a literal debating coach. Yeah. So I there's not much more nerd that you can get. So. But yeah, you mentioned Star Wars and I was just like thinking about like... Uh, in my group of friends, I call Baby Yoda my son. But whenever I'm in podcast <laughs> communities, I'm like, no, that's Latanya's child. Not yeah. Like, Grogu is Latanya. Grogu is my I just, child. <laughs> I just uh, take ownership when I'm talking to people who don't know of Latanya yet, because my goal is to make Latanya a household name. Oh, well, that's my goal too. I'm glad that we're both working for the same goal. <laughs> that's so rare. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I would love to be a household name. Like I've, I've been telling my friends to listen to the You podcast. These pe- friends that I told you about that like yeah. are struggling. Like I'm trying to get people to listen to more uh, PSR because I think it's like a great community, and I think yeah. a lot of my friends would enjoy it, especially like if they love films and TV. I sent uh, down the hatch the hatch links to my friend who loves Lost. I'm just oh, good. trying to proliferate the streets with PSR yes. uh, fans, get especially us out there. The Tanya stands. Yes, I need more stands. I don't. I don't even know if I have a single stand. So uh, I need. More, well, of course you. Um, um, do you want a stand to go full uh, swarm though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I like. I, I guess the worst that happened in swarm is she got bitten. 
Um, but I don't really want anybody to bite me either. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we're covering the Mandalorian feedback. Uh, everybody's been really great about getting their feedback in. So you want to continue to do that. Um, I'm also, uh, covering Barry for post-show recaps along with Mike Bloom. Uh, we just finished our coverage of episodes one and two earlier today, and those will be out, uh, for you, uh, right after the airing of Barry. Um, and then of course, Josh and I are on our versus BS, uh, still Josh Wiggler and I, uh, are taking two shows and making them fight in the versus arena. And this season it is succession versus yellow jackets. And boy, did yellow jackets get its ass beat yesterday or, or last week. Like, woof. Um, <laughs> it was inevitable, but uh, it did, in fact, happen, and I kind of felt bad for it. <laughs> um, and then finally, you can catch me over at Rehap because I try to have generally more than one stream of revenue. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm talking about Top Chef over there with Kurt and Haley, and we had special guests recently, Nick Wallace, Chef Nick Wallace, who was on season 19 of Top Chef, and we're just covering Top Chef International uh, season 20, where uh, we've got international all-stars, winners or runners up from like all these different seasons. And it's really exciting to see what these people can do. So yeah, um, when I'm not talking about those things, I'm talking about something uh, on Twitter at LK Starks. And if not, I'm posting pictures on Instagram at Stormborn1222. That's a lot of great stuff that you all put out there. Go <laughs> like, subscribe, rate everything Latanya is doing yes. so that people can find Latanya and achieve our mutual goal of making her a household name. <laughs> yeah. um, speaking of uh, star ratings, I would appreciate any on the Brazilian Dragon podcast feed. It helps people find the podcast. And I am really excited about this specific series that I'm doing. In addition, we have a lot of uh, miscellaneous, what I call nostalgia content for the people who grew up in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. So we got the Scooby-Doo movie series. Uh, we got, uh, anytime you want to come on to any of these, Latanya, if you have an interest, yeah. you're welcome, open invite. Uh, we got Scooby-Doo movies we're chatting about. Um, we got uh, High School Musical, the musical series on, on hiatus, but also Phineas and Ferb on the Whatcha Doin' feed. Uh, lots of different stuff right now, plus a lot of things in the hopper, a lot of ideas we have kicking around. Um, with that said, Latanya, do you have a hashtag for this episode? Um, Latanya Hive, maybe? Uh, yeah. Um, hashtag um, LT's Bees. LT's Bees. I love it. That's what your stands <laughs> are called. Um, with all that said, thank you again so much, Latanya, for this time we spent together and sharing your media story. Anytime you want to come back on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast, you have an open invite. Uh, and I'm so excited for all the stuff that you've done uh, with all your podcasting. Like, would you believe three years ago today that you would be where you are right now with all the different shows that you're talking about on a network that you uh, have experienced listening to uh, for years? No, I wouldn't think that at all, especially given the fact that, you know, I got screeners for the first time this week. Uh, that was uh, like something that I put out into the world. I was like, I, I manifested getting screeners for TV shows 
and then it happened and i was like yay we did it look at you achieving your your goals um yes. like a queen um so with all that said everyone obrigado for listening and until next time bye
I was looking at photos of Bozo the Clown, and he's terrifying. <laughs> he's terrifying, right? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. He is scary. Um, also, this like, yeah. I, and then I was looking at Kids Incorporated also because I had that pulled up. Uh, they that was like a lot of people, not just like Fergie, but Mario Lopez. Uh, oh, I forgot about all the other people. Yeah, like I was looking at the little Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, that was like the lead-in show to the to the Mickey Mouse Club was Kids Incorporated. Wild how all these kids got their start. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. 